This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Voices of Vapors, where we cover tobacco harm reduction, not exclusively, but mostly electronic cigarettes and vaping devices. Um, these have emerged as amazing tobacco harm reduction products, but in the United States, they've been subject to local, state, and federal regulations, taxation, and even prohibition pretty much since their inception in 2007. Approximately 3 million American adult vapors have used electronic cigarettes to quit smoking combustible cigarettes. 2015, Public Health England declared vaping to be 95% safer than smoking. 2016, the Royal College Physicians, which interestingly enough is the same public health authority we were, uh, the United States relied on regarding um, the 1964 Surgeon General's report on smoking, um, they declared that vaping was unlikely to exceed 5% of the harms associated with combustible cigarettes. And today I have a very special guest that's joining me from across the pond, is what I call the Atlantic Ocean. He's out in the UK. Um, James Dunworth is the co-founder of E-Cigarette Direct. It's a rapidly expanding vaping supplies sales company that was founded in 2008, so he's been here since pretty much the beginning. Um, it now employs 90 workers that sell regulated electronic cigarette supplies through their website, shops, and re- uh, resellers. James is also the co-author of the first peer-reviewed study into electronic cigarettes, which was published in November of 2009. He's been featured in most major uh, newspapers in the UK, has been interviewed on Sky News, BBC Wales, including television and radio, The Jeremy Vine Show, Hello Wales, and Radio Free Live. And he also maintains the blog, um, Ashtray Blog. Um, James, uh, James, thank you for joining us today. How are you? Very well. Thank you very much, Lindsay. Um, so my first question always is, how did you find yourself in the electronic, you know, cigarette industry? Well, it was very much a part-time thing to start with. I was actually working in the Middle East in 2008, and I came back one year on holiday, and my mother had been to a trade show in Spain, and she said, uh, I, I found this thing. It was a, a little three-part electronic cigarette, a cigar-like. And she said, it's bloody amazing. It's like she'd been smoking for decades and she finally found something that could uh, uh, nearly nearly match it. And she said, do you think you could build a website to sell this thing? And I was going, well, I'll give it a go. So I built a, a website, which was pretty terrible, <laughs> the first version, <laughs> but, it, but it worked and it started growing very quickly. And then in, in 2010, we, I came back and, and we did it full time and, and started hear, hiring people. And it just grew from there. Oh, wow. Okay, so you've been in since the beginning. Um, can you give our listeners some insight on how you've seen this? I mean, it's 2000. I know in the United States, it's been 2007 is when the first electronic cigarette was introduced. Um, but can you give some insight on um, how you've seen the industry change? Yeah, well, back in 2008, it was really all about the cigarette device. And it was a very basic device. And it's strange because now everybody knows what vaping is. Back in those days, nobody knew what vaping was. Yeah. You know, you'd be, I remember vaping inside somewhere in, in 2009 and someone saying, oh, you can't come and smoke that. And they go, no, it's electronic cigarettes. What's that? And then you, you talk about it. That was a common conversation then. People really didn't know about it. And one of the ways we used to market in the first place 
because nobody was looking for them because they didn't know they existed, was we would go around shows, you know, we pulling out smokers and say, have you tried this? You know, and then as soon as they, they tried it and uh, they were off. Yeah, no idea. And then uh, it- Sorry, I'm struggling with this question because it's, it's such a big question. I don't know where to focus in the myriad of, of things which have changed. You know, so the, the the products the products come on a lot. the The industry is very different. So in the early days, their competition wasn't an issue. You know, the industry was growing so fast there weren't enough people supplying it. And and now we got to a situation where I think there's there's too many suppliers. You know, competition is cutthroat. There's too many shops on the on the high street. Uh, which is which is good for the consumer, but it's it's a very different industry. And then scientifically is is also very interesting because at the time we knew very little about vaping, mm-hmm. and we knew that the harms from smoking were caused by combustion, and we knew that vaping didn't involve combustion. So we had a pretty good idea that it was going to be safer. But it's very different from now, whereas. We have a lot of science that backs up our assertion that it's safer. But ironically, at the same time, a lot more people are worried that vaping is is just as bad as cigarettes or even worse. Yeah, there is a lot of public mis- uh, misperception, um, especially out over on this side, uh, you know, the Yankees. Uh, uh, so... That's where I want to bring up. I know, especially like uh, the UK has been phenomenal as far as bringing the research into play that, you know, shows that these are significantly less harmful than combustible cigarettes. Um, And I'm just curious because like I don't can you talk to our listeners more about like how the UK handles electronic cigarettes? Um, I know I've heard things about them being subsidized. And then also I know that there's, you know, different regulations as far as nicotine strength. Um, Can you just kind of dive into that? Okay, so the. It's really been the last few years that the UK has been pro-vaping. So back in 2010, the the government at the time came very close to banning electronic cigarettes. We were two weeks away from an effective ban on electronic cigarettes and the industry would have been wiped out. And it was only when the Labour government lost the election and the Conservatives came in that they said, oh, hang on, let's, let's find out a bit more about this thing before we ban it. And... What was key at the time was something called the government nudge unit. Now, I don't know if you've heard about the nudge unit. No, I have not. But essentially, the idea behind the nudge unit is that they present decisions to the public in a way that's not forcing them down a certain route, but is guiding them in the right direction. So, for example, with organ donors, if you ask people if they want to donate their organs if they die, approximately 20% will tick the box and say yes. But if you ask them if they don't want to donate their organs if they die, again, about 20% of people will say no. So you go from 20% to 80%. But you're not forcing people to do it. It's very much guiding people down the correct route. And this this was a, a personal project of the Prime Minister at the time, David Cameron. Now, the nudge unit really saw the potential of electronic cigarettes at an early stage. So they had a big influence on the government. And a lot of the people in public health in England and and the public health community who are very pro-electronic cigarettes, they were very cautious to start with. They didn't jump to this conclusion. But it's something that we arrived at over time. And a lot of the studies were reviewed. And eventually we saw some big 
reviews of all the studies coming out concluding that electronic cigarettes are probably at least 95% safer than tobacco cigarettes. So it's a process that came about over quite a few years. Mm. Um, in terms of subsidizing, what we have now is Public Health England is encouraging stop smoking services to use electronic cigarettes to help smokers. And part of this is because of a study recently that has shown that electronic cigarettes are at least twice as effective as NRT aids. But more than that, when electronic cigarettes are combined with the behavioral support that stop smoking organizations can provide smokers, they're seeing quit rates of 66%, oh, wow. which, which is incredible, it's, it's absolutely huge. So it's highly effective in achieving their aim, which is to get people off cigarettes. And they are, they are encountering a lot of resistance from some, some services, but it's, it's very effective. And what we're also finding is that it's cheaper. So at the moment, they, the stop smoking services are providing NRT aid. And they have to reprovide this every few weeks to the smokers. But it is cheaper to provide electron cigarettes and e-liquid yes. to smokers than it is to the NLT, a single round. But very often, once people have started vaping, and you know, if we supply a stop smoking service, we'll provide a discount code, you know, so they, they can carry on using it. They'll carry on vaping and they stop going back to the stop smoking services. So it's it's both more effective and it's more cost effective. That's, that's fantastic. And I think you explained it pretty adequately. Um, now, I know, uh, well, I, uh, well, now I got to interrupt for a second, because honestly, what you're sitting, you're saying with the, the um, behavioral support, it's almost like over here with the vape shops provide for these people who have quit smoking. Yeah, absolutely. And and some of the, it's really been led by one or two stop smoking services that have broken the ground and we're a lot braver than the others. And yeah. there's some key characters like Louise Ross here. She's huge in the UK on the stop smoking services, really going out there and talking about it and talking about their uh, successes that, that has led to this. Yes. Sorry, it's also good to know. I mean, that there was some apprehension um, coming. I know in America right now, there's a big alarmism, but I get the apprehension. I know me and my coworkers here joke that like, you know, 40 years from now, these were going to be worse for you than, um, you know, combustible cigarettes. But the science doesn't really, um, you know, go to that. And I get there are no long term studies. Um, so I like that they took kind of a graduated approach with public health over in the UK on that. I think a lot of the apprehension has been imported over from the United States. So, you know, we get we seem to have something here where Public Health England will come out with a big, brave, or the Royal Society of Medicine, big, brave statement on e-cigs about how much better than they are, or some videos comparing the effect of cigarettes and e-cigarettes on your lungs. You know, so that's really positive. Yep. It's covered by the news stories. And then something will blow up in the US, or there'll be some study in the US, and suddenly it's reporting a very negative side of the story. And we see all these... Uh, headlines splashed across our newspapers, and that's essentially been imported to us uh, from the U.S. No, I love that. Uh, apprehension was imported from the United States, and I love that Public Health England last year reiterated um, their 2015 study that they, you know, reanalyzed, and it's still 95% safer than combustible cigarettes. I mean, there is still opposition in the U.K. Uh, there's some um, key people who are creating a lot of problems, 
We're based in Wales, which is very anti-vaping. It doesn't share the same attitude as as England, and and that's been difficult for us. Yeah. So in in Wales, stop smoking services flatly refuse to supply electronic cigarettes, and they don't even mention them on their website. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay. So okay. I'm I, from what I've under what I understand. The UK also regulates, um, and there's a pretty the, some tight restrictions. Um, I know there's like a nicotine content um, max that you can do. Um, can you kind of explain those? I know I've heard of, uh, you know, nicotine strength. I've also heard of like short fills and extender kits. And somebody has also told me that uh, like jewels, what we get in the United States, uh, you guys can't get over in the UK because of the regulations. So the... Regulations come from the EU, not the United Kingdom. Okay. So the the UK government actually passed this to the EU without realizing that vaping was contained in the regulation, which is pretty incredible. Uh, the the minister at the time uh, was supposed to have checked all the regulations that were going to be going in for discussion and didn't realize that they were included, but. The UU then tried to medicalize electronic cigarettes, which would have effectively meant that electronic cigarettes were banned. Yeah. We had a massive campaign here in the UK, and what really swung it was vapors writing to their EU representatives. And we've looked back at their voting patterns, and if it hadn't been for the UK being in the EU, electronic cigarettes would have been banned because it oh, was wow. UK votes that swung it. So what we ended up with was a really messy compromise with all sorts of stupid regulations. Part of the regulations are due to the fact that the EU regulators did not understand the science. And there was a number of scientists who wrote to the EU in process saying that their research had been misunderstood and misinterpreted. So it did leave us <laughs> stupid <laughs> rules. So we we have we got a two two ml limit on tanks. We got a two percent limit on nicotine. There's a, a ten ml limit on e-liquor bottles, but that that doesn't apply. To, none of these apply to zero nicotine products because the EU weren't even aware that people vape zero nicotine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If, if we want to introduce a new product, then we have to notify the EU six months before it's introduced into the market. Uh, we have to have emissions testing of e-liquid. Actually, this is a pretty good rule. You know, at, we, at the time, we were very worried because we thought it was going to cost ridiculous amounts of money. But it's, you know, we've, we've, the industry's found a way to do it. And it does mean that now we're, we're testing for impurities okay. in the e-liquid. And most most manufacturers go beyond what's what's required by by the regulations. Most good manufacturers, and then we we have to notify this to the MHRA. Now I don't think the MHRA. I think they said at the time that they, there's no way that they would be able to actually look at all the notifications. So I imagine a lot of these notifications sit in a file somewhere and never get looked at. Nevertheless, we have to tell them what what we're what we're creating. You don't have so to on you, the bottom. You don't have to get approval sorry? though. It's not approval because okay. then it would be it would create a lot of work for for the MHRA and these these are not UK regulations. The the UK that... wasn't really keen on these regulations, and when they came in, they were very good about interpreting them in the most liberal way possible. So our government was actually very supportive. 
Um, you also have nicotine warnings on on e-liquid, and then we have nicotine warnings on tanks, and then we have notice saying actually these nicotine warnings don't apply unless you use nicotine in the in the tank. So it's <laughs> ridiculous. Wow. There's extensive marketing limitations. So you've got no online advertising, no TV advertising, um, no radio advertising. So yeah, it's, how do you get uh, people a lot. to quit? Um, Go on. How do you how do people how do you get people to quit then? If there's like a no, I mean, so the only thing they can do honestly is like print advertising. We, we can have posters. We can advertise in cinema. Uh, you know, we can have a website. We're not we're not supposed to say anything promotional on it. Uh, obviously, people do. <laughs> Um, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's a project, and if people want the project, they'll find it. It's, I remember that when Google advertising was banned for electron cigarettes in 2009, we were very worried because we thought, how will we get people to find us? You know, But people do find you, and in the end of the day, that was beneficial for us because we weren't spending a huge amount of our turnover on, on Google advertising. So word of word, mouse more important. People use social media, though you're not supposed to. Um, search engine optimization is important, uh, but I mean, sh sh and also shops is very shops is very good. So people are walking past shops all the time. Yeah. But I think what it's done is prevented the big brands from dominating the market because of the limitations on social media. There's a lot more room for small brands, which otherwise would be drowned out by advertising from the big companies. It's back. The Heartland Institute is hosting the 13th International Conference on Climate Change on July 25th in Washington, D.C. at the Trump International Hotel. This is the most important climate conference of 2019, featuring the world's best scientists, economists, and policy experts who will present the latest data and information showing that humans are not causing a climate crisis. Tickets are available now, but space is limited, so don't delay. Our keynote meal sessions will include at least one prominent member of the Trump administration, a leader of the historic Solidarity Polish Labor Union, who has had it with climate alarmism in Europe, and the latest round of the Climate Change Awards. Other featured speakers include prominent scientist Roy Spencer, David Legates, a Trump transition leader for EPA, Myron Ebel, and Anthony Watts, founder of the most red climate site in the world. What's up with that? Visit heartland.org for more information and get your tickets today. What is the most popular e-cigarette over or electronic, you know, cigarette or vaping device over in the uh, United Kingdom? There, there really isn't one popular device. This, well, I'm sure it's the same way in the U.S., but there's an awful lot of devices and I don't think I could name one that is the most popular one. And if I did, it would probably have changed in the next three months. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, the, the, um, uh, go on. The issue over in the States is um, that I've seen, especially, I mean, Juul and the closed pod systems do kind of dominate the market, but that's because they are in um, gas stations and liquor stores and places that people, you know, go and pick up their cigarettes. And I've talked to these people, these retailers or the clerks, and and they will sit here and say that this has been an effective, like, cessation tool, that the people were coming in prior buying cigarettes, and now they're buying this product. It's just unfortunate. I sat there on yesterday, actually, with an older gentleman that was a smoker, and he was asking me about, um, they actually, this particular gas station has, um, 
uh, liquid at, for the, the the starter kits, um, which is pretty kind of it's pretty cool. And he was asking me about it, and I, I just told him I was like, you need to go to a vape shop. I mean, they will explain it a lot better than what this guy can, who's selling gas and candy bars and cigarettes, you know, and in some places alcohol. Um, I think it's very um, important for that to be absolutely. I mean, one of the one change we we've made in the last couple of years, which has been massively beneficial, is is to bring in a dedicated trainer. So yes. she works with the staff, and a lot of the training is all about analyzing the needs. So you asking the right questions to identify the needs of the customer, and then giving them a choice of you know from the vast amount of vaping devices available, giving the choice of three which match their needs most closely. Absolutely. Um, so now. Why? Okay, so what you hear over in the states, um, and uh, thanks to our public health, um, is this youth vaping epidemic. And now I've done the numbers, and hopefully some of our listeners have done the numbers themselves. So they're kind of skewed. Why aren't you hearing that from anywhere else in the world, especially in the EU and you know the UK? Well, I think yeah. I, I, I first, I, the numbers I looked at don't suggest that there's a youth vaping epidemic in the US. Or, I mean, the, the numbers that I looked at went up to 2017, so it may have changed massively in the last uh, 18 months or so, but I was looking at something like of people who weren't regular smokers were using e six about 1% of, of teens mm -hmm. in the US. Is that right? I think and so, then yeah. It was, it, and and it, it, was, it, was, it was less than 1% in the US. So I, th I think there's a misperception about teen vaping and it's, it's quite worrying because i've heard even advocates u.s advocates start to use the word teen epidemic which i really think is is falling into the trap i think we ought to be fighting back with uh, figures don't represent the fact that there's a teen epidemic in terms of usage i mean slightly higher in the u.s i think i do wonder if the much higher nicotine rates levels that are used in the dual would make it more addictive I think the lower nicotine levels give us a little bit of safety margin in the UK. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think 2% nicotine is, levels is, you know, when it's separated from the other addictive compounds in tobacco are, are just not, not that addictive. Yeah. I also think that the fuss around the jewel has made it more popular to younger people. So when you're told it's incredibly popular, that's social proof, you know, people are saying it's very easy to use and discreet is making it more attractive. And, but also, you know, the, the media and the FDA attention have made it seem a much bigger problem than it is. Um, there, there has been some mention of teenage vaping epidemic in the UK, but it hasn't been as prevalent in the UK. I'm not 100% sure why that is. Yeah. I think we have perhaps missed some of the more extreme okay. flavors and, and marketing that you've seen. I mean, you know, I, I protect our, the right to have flavors, but perhaps sometimes in the US it's been taken just too far. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, we've also yet to see the jewel make major inroads into the United Kingdom. And I know a lot of the reaction in the US has been around the dual, so that could be a factor. Um, and that's a that's about <laughs> the, the all of my insight into into that so far. Um, I mean, I do expect to see more mention being 
made of teenage vaping in in the UK. So I think it's a battle we'll probably have on our hands in the future. I, I, my personal opinion on it right now with the United States is that this is the first generation of uh, parents that know that big tobacco is bad. We had, you know, and, and it's going to segue into our next question, but, you know, with the master settlement agreement, um, you know, mm-hmm. definitively, okay, you are now have to, you're going to be forced into paying things. So you are evil and so there and unfortunately with vaping it cannot get out of the shadow of big tobacco um partly dude because what type of a device it is it's a device to help people quit smoking another thing is because it does mimic the sensations of smoking which is why it's been such an incredible device for smokers um and it's very unfortunate and i think that you know here it's you know, my parents don't have the ability to parent their kid that much anymore in the United States. Uh, so they just go yell at their lawmakers and my kid's vaping and I can't stop it. You need to do something about it. Um, this is tobacco. Well, I think there's another interesting take on it, which is where in the UK it's been regulated and there's yes. quite tight restrictions among youth usage. In in the US, there's been hysteria instead of regulation. Yes. So I think in the UK, there's been moves to, okay, we have it. Let's make sure it's you know, a bit safer. Let's make sure kids can't get access to it. And I wonder if the lack of regulation in the US, although, frankly, they, they're, they're a real pain to deal with, but the lack <laughs> of regulation has contributed towards the problem. Yes. Yes, there is that. So, okay. You've done a lot of work on the master settlement agreement. Um, and so for our listeners that don't understand this, um, in the 90s, all these states started suing the tobacco companies to recover uh, health care costs associated with uh, combustible cigarette smoking. Um, I, I guess it's not all, not all of them. I want to say it's like 40 have settled um, and with the big tobacco companies and so there are payments from the sales of cigarettes um, in perpetuity forevermore um, to recover all these healthcare costs. Um, now, can you explain a little bit more on your findings? I know you've been an- analyzing where this money goes to, and I know I, I'm, my perfect example I always give is, um, is, so this was 1999 when they settled out. In 2000, Illinois used the, their MSA funds to give property tax relief. And I always sit here and say if I was a smoker, <laughs> I would have went up to people, oh, you own a house, and I would blow smoke in their face, been like, you're welcome. Um, and, um, and you've also looked at too, that the fact that because of the, how states do rely on this funding, that there are, there is this instance of vapors paying for this lost revenue. So can you just kind of, once again, just dive sorry, into could, all that. Could you repeat the last part of that? Vapors paying for what? Sorry? For the lost tax revenue. Ah, uh, yeah. So one reason we wanted to look at this, I mean, we looked at the EU as well, but as I mentioned before, the UK imports US hysteria into UK media. Yes. And I think that the the whole reason for the anti-vaping movement is is complex. It's not just about money, but we it, it's part of it. So we started analyzing tax figures and we, okay, the tax figures for the US to tobacco is big, but in, in terms of the budget, it's, it's not that big. But then we started looking at the the states which is where we've seen a lot of the anti-vaping stories come from. Yeah. So as you mentioned, the, the, the tobacco market was in pure perpetuity, but it promised at least $200 billion over 25 years. It may have been more because different sources quote different figures. 
Now, this revenue was tied to the number of cigarettes sold, not to the profits made by the tobacco company. So it's, it's incredible settlement that it created a perverse incentive for states to maintain cigarette sales. So if, if, they, if states sell less cigarettes, then they're financially worse off. But the real problem came with, with what they did with the money. Instead of just letting the money drip in, a lot of the states decided to leverage it. And they did this by selling bonds to private investors. And these bonds were guaranteed by the tobacco settlement money. Mm -hmm. And not only did they do this, they also asked for a freeze on initial interest payments. So they wouldn't have to pay it for a number of years. And the debt started mounting up and accruing it. So these these states now have to pay back many times what they originally borrowed. In some cases, states have to pay up to 70 times the amount they originally borrowed. Oh, wow. And, yeah. <laughs> and you're, talking about, you're talking about millions of dollars. Is that, in is that California? Cases, billions. Sorry? Is that California? Uh, Cal California is one of them. Yeah. Yep. And, but, I mean, there's, there's different stories among the different states. So I think one state... The, the assistant state treasurer admitted later that they basically burned through the money in two years' time. And then they're faced with years of debt payments. Yes. And uh, you were talking about what the money was spent on. I think one of the states invested the majority of their money into uh, tobacco production. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it, it, absolutely incredible. So they're subsidizing tobacco growers. I think they even created a tobacco, mag uh, a tobacco museum. Oh, wow. So at the time, these bonds were considered fairly safe because cigarette sales were considered to be a steady source of income. They anticipated they would drop a bit. But what they didn't see was the big drop in cigarette sales that has happened, especially since vaping hmm. has been around. And Moody's now estimate that around 80 percent of these bonds are going to default. Now, California is interesting because I think it was the largest recipient. It's either the largest, second largest. Yeah. And it's late on its tobacco payments. And they, they're likely to face a lot of pain because of the problems they have with this and because they're likely to be penalty rates of interest for late payments. And California is one of the most vociferous opponents of vaping that we've seen. Yes. And while it's having financial problems because of this, it's also been investing tens of millions into an anti-vaping campaign. So that is, that's basically it. We, we, we put out the, the figures and we said, look, vaping's crossing states this. This is where the campaign's coming from. We're not trying to make people's minds up for them. We say, you know, read, read the data and, and make your own, own mind up as to whether this is part of the reason for the anti-vaping campaign. Exactly. Well, and, and now I've been around the states and I have yet to, well, maybe the Alaska, the, I know the Alaska uh, rep that threw up, uh, I forget the, there's been so many vaping taxes that came uh, about in 2019. Um, they were actually, were honest about it and were like, oh, this is, we need to get revenue. So let's tax something else. But I've seen, um, a lot of the arguments that do it now is, oh, a tax will deter youth from using it. Um, I've actually analyzed uh, Pennsylvania when they did a 40 percent uh, wholesale tax and it didn't have any effect on youth um, whatsoever. But um, do you see moving into the future that vapors will be more subject to taxes? Um, I don't. 
another thing that I also get when I meet in front of lawmakers is that they don't, they don't understand where their tobacco money is going. I know I look up all the time where the MSA goes as far as um, cessation prevention, and, and it's always you know it's like one point three percent you know on average around the state that they're actually spending this, um, and so it's kind of always amazing to talk with lawmakers on that. But you actually think that. The lawmakers are literally going to come out and sit here and say, well, we lost this money. This is how much money we've lost. And so we're going to put this tax on here to try to recoup it. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's very difficult to say for certain because <laughs> it, it's not something pe people usually come out and say. But yeah. pe people have come out and said it. I mean, it's it's been it was said in the EU by an MEP. You know what? What on earth are you guys going to do about the, the loss in to tobacco revenue? I mean, I find in awesome. Indonesia very... Indonesia is very interesting because they're very honest. The, the, the health minister came out and said, we want to put a tax on vaping because we want people smoking, we want people paying taxes, we're worried about jobs in tobacco growers. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no mention of health at all, which is, it, was no. all, it was all about money. Um, I, I, I find the UK very interesting because we have very high taxes on cigarettes and we, we also have a public health system and... Um, you know, although people always talk about smoking diseases and the cost of smoking diseases, they don't cost very much compared to old age diseases. And, and they tend to hit people around about pension age. So I think <laughs> the in the UK, vaping is going to cost the UK a lot. But there's the, the government's been very good and they are determined to get smoking rates and they seem prepared to lose revenue in the process. That being so heavily relied on it. Well, no, that's interesting. Oh, I, 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 a lot of I'm not sure that, how well that answers your question. Well, I mean, it did answer <laughs> it perfectly. I know um, the Center for Tobacco Products, you know, created in our, I think it was in the Master Settlement Agreement or the 2009 um, Tobacco Control Act. But, I mean, that's completely funded by tobacco user fees. So while they're doing research to get you to quit smoking, they would be eradicating their whole program because that's where all their funding comes from. I mean the uh, the whole the whole re the whole motivation behind the anti vaping movement I think is more complex than just being about money. I mean yeah. you have people you have a puritanical attitude against nicotine. You get people who have a mindset after decades of fighting smoking and cigarettes. They don't trust anything con connected to smoking. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's potentially there's uh, an element of the pharmaceutical industry which is against them. Uh, for tobacco companies, a massive problem. I mean, the, the margins are half what uh, cigarettes and heat not burn are. So it's, it, it is it is a, a complex question. And to say it's just because of the money, I think, would be oversimplifying it. However, I think that there does seem to be a clear connection between certain parties who have monetary financial interests and the negative message coming out from those parts. Yes. Well, actually, and like I said, I always segue off of different questions that might not be in, on my list of questions. Heat not burn. Oh, I'm I'm a I'm a dual user and what the FDA hates. I went out my um, overseas last year and I was able to pick up one of these devices, but I wasn't able to buy heat sticks. And I'm excited about them coming onto market. Um, how has heat not burn been for the UK um, or even the EU? I know that it's readily available and you guys actually have um, newer versions than what was approved with the PMTA, with FDA um, a few weeks back. Yeah, there's been a fairly lukewarm reception. 
Um, in terms of the scientists, um, they, I think they were looking at say it's, it's likely to be quite a lot safer than cigarettes, but not nearly as safe as electron cigarettes. Um, there's there's a call for more research because a lot of the research has been conducted by tobacco companies. Uh, perhaps because of this, in the UK, there's no special tax on vaping, but the heat not burn products are taxed at the same rate as okay. rolling tobacco. Okay. So they are at a disadvantage to, to electronic cigarettes. Wait, as rolling tobacco? So they're not taxed at the same rate as um, combustible cigarettes? No. Okay. I haven't been able to talk to our... The people, I'm curious to see how they're going to tax it over in the United States because um, I see lawmakers really liking it if they get to ta have parity with combustible cigarettes on it. Yeah, they, they haven't really taken off in the UK or not yet, um, despite a lot of effort by the tobacco companies. Okay. I mean, they're, they're more expensive. They're more expensive than vaping products. And there isn't the same support from the health community that there is for electronic cigarettes. OK. All right. That makes sense. Um, I, th I think we're, Ed, when you've done the recent numbers on adult smokers in the United States, I mean, I know the jewels, like I said earlier, the jewels been really good because it's right there when they're going to pick up their cigarettes. I think that you're going to see people, my personal belief, I might be wrong, is that you'll see more. Um, we still haven't got that many people converted over. I think we still have like 32 million smokers. We only have like 10 million vapors. Um, I think it will kind of help with that it, it does depend on the cost price though or the price that you know how much is it if it's any if it's good they definitely need to be cheaper than combustible cigarettes i think yeah yeah um, i mean we we in the in the uk we i mean jules trying to make an entrance here and and the brand is known because of the us but it doesn't i don't think it has the same efficacy because because of the limit on nicotine strengths yeah the it's just not going to be as effective as it is in the US. And reception reviewers and stuff are saying, well, it's, it's, it's not it's not the same device as it is in the US. I mean, we've got some very good pod, pod systems here, which I, I think probably perhaps outperform the Jewel. Yep. So I, I think there'll be some take up purely because of the brand recognition it has from the US, but I don't think we're going to see the same take up here yeah. as you have done over there. Absolutely. Okay, so now I've got a two-part question for you. Um, what do you think that's going to happen with the future of electronic cigarettes and vaping in the United States, you know, as we are facing the regulations? And you kind of alluded to it earlier that, you know, there's about two years there that you guys thought that the industry was going to end because of the EU regulations coming down on you. And also... And you've kind of mentioned this too. And do you think that what happens in the United States will affect how regulations move forward over in the UK and in the EU? Mm. In terms of, I, I don't follow the obviously don't follow the US as closely as the UK, and I'm probably not. I'm not knowledgeable enough to comment a lot on how the US regulations will evolve. What I would say is that. We've come to the brink twice in both in the UK and the EU of having electron cigarettes effectively banned. I mean, as I said, at one point we were looking at uh, a future of two weeks wow. and, we, and we kept fighting it. And we in, in both times, you know, the, the future turned out to be a lot brighter than than we'd hoped for. So it's very difficult to predict. And I think there's there's two ways in which US regulations will affect us in the UK. 
So one is the fact that a country which gets a lot of attention outside the US is banning or, or putting major restrictions on electrons to get some flavors. That can send a negative message to the consumer, hmm. uh, especially as it's likely to be taken up by our media who, you know, they just like to make a big story out of anything and they'll spin it to make it sound dramatic and sensational and, and take every possible negative thing they can. So I think it sends a very bad message to the consumer. Yeah. I don't think the UK government will take any notice of it, but it may be different in the EU. Okay. Um, the current regulations are due for review in 2020. So we'll have to see how that turns out and if they're influenced by the US. The other area in which I think it will affect the UK and the EU market is this knock-on effect on Chinese manufacturers. Now, I know a huge proportion of their revenue comes from the United States. So if you suddenly take that out, you know, if they're losing half or more of their income, I think that could potentially affect the financial stability of some of those companies. And it could also lead to a decrease in investment and product innovation. I think perhaps my heart of that, perhaps because of that, we're starting to see a much bigger focus on the UK and EU markets, you know, especially as, uh, I mean, the UK is a fairly developed market for mm -hmm. the vaping industry and these manufacturers, but there's certainly some parts of the EU where the take up of vaping is very low. You know, there's a huge amount of smokers here in, in the EU, not, not so much the UK. And these companies are starting to see it as, as a, a safe haven for vaping products for the time being anyway. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. So, um, where can we find out more information about you and your company? Um, well, for me, you can you can follow me on Twitter. Um, the my my personal Twitter is is ini James. Just handle uh, for for you know information what we've been talking about today. Best place is to check out the blog. If you just put Ashray blog in, and in the recent post, you'll find the analysis of the links between lost tobacco taxes and the anti-vaping campaign and you'll also find more information on teen vaping and data that really challenges the assertion that there is a teen vaping epidemic at all that's awesome and now do you have any last words for our listeners or any advice yes i'd say keep up the fight there's enough of us vapors out there to make a difference. I think our key challenge really is to mobilize people to take action. I mean, the only reason why vaping is still legal in the UK is because of a massive letter writing campaign, you know, and enough people writing to their representatives to, to change their minds and persuade them to take a stance. So if enough of us take action, we really can make a big difference. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining me today, James. I've been, I was really excited about this because I needed to learn more about what was going on internationally. But I also love the fact that you know so much about what's going on in the United States, especially with the tobacco revenue. Yeah. Hey, Lindsay, it's been really fun. Awesome. Well, okay. To our listeners, thank you again for tuning in to another episode of Voices of Vapors from our podcast, including this one. Please visit heartland.org or search for the Heartland Daily Podcast in iTunes. For more information on electronic cigarettes and tobacco harm reduction, please visit our alcohol and tobacco page at heartland.org. 